end of your world, you still turn me on for both coming home again. Hello and welcome to the Everyone's A Football Critic podcast with me, the star of that audio clip you just heard, <laughs> Zach Farmer, and as always, my good friend, Mr. Callum Disson. How are you doing, Callum? I'm doing very well after that England result, Zach, and by the sounds of it, so are you. Yeah, I sent that um, rather excitable uh, voice note to my girlfriend um, after a few beers with some mates during the England game. Um, As you can tell, I was quite pleased with the result, um, (laughs) as I believe you probably were as well, Cam. Yeah, of course. We, I think we kind of said last week, if if we get those... That, that early goal, it really could open up. With the, the first half, it was really good to have that goal that early. Um, the, the pass from Sterling was great. And it was the kind of pass that you don't really see him play too often. It wasn't exactly... It was kind of a De Bruyne-esque <coughs> assist. It was perfectly weighted through through two defenders straight onto Harry Kane's feet. Um, and then, yeah, we got we got the second goal right at the start of the second half and from then it was just they knew they were out mm. they 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 backed off and it was just damage limitations really from Ukraine wasn't it yeah it was pretty excellent um yeah Ukraine Ukraine really struggled to get themselves into the game to be honest and as you say i think as soon as we got that early goal it was it was always going to be really difficult for them to get something out of out of the game um yeah brilliant from sterling but in terms of that game we'll jump straight into then the analysis of it um, obviously, difference-wise from Germany, we went back to the back four rather than the back three. Um, any anything particularly of note there, Carl? Um, so I was, I wasn't surpri- I wasn't necessarily surprised, but I wouldn't have been overly surprised if we had stayed in a three, just given that that's what Ukraine play. Well, they played a five, really, didn't they? But but they still sort of to match the man for man. But we just. I, I said before the game, we have, like, squad-wise, we really, we, that, that was the result that <clears throat> we, we should be getting for sort of, if, if you compare man for man, the talent in our squad against their squad, that's the, that would be the expected result. It's kind of, when you, when you see a Man City playing a, a, a lower side, it's just sort of expected. It doesn't always happen, but it was really, really good to see. We just, we didn't really need that extra man at the back in the way we did, um, Against Germany, we held possession really well. Sort of without it, we were able to recycle it round the back without needing that extra man. We were kind of happily playing. We were kind of happily playing the ball a little, not less conservatively, but just the passes were a little further rather than there were a lot between the three centre backs. It kind of seemed to be left centre back out to the right back or right centre back out to the left back yesterday, which I liked. I, I was saying last week there was we didn't really get it out to the wings enough against Germany, I felt. It was, or it was a little slow. I, I was quite critical of Rice for that. Um, but I thought the team overall did that a lot more efficiently last night. Yeah, I think because Ukraine obviously sat off quite a lot, so there was a lot more space ahead of most of the players. So it was a, it was a lot quicker to get the ball into the final third into those attacking players. But yeah, it is nice to see us be a little bit more progressive. Uh, as for the back three versus four, I think probably just because... I th- Ukraine play, obviously they play three at the back, but they play a sort of three, four, one, two. So it becomes kind of like having a two in midfield with a 10 in front of them. 
So it kind of makes more sense for us to keep the three in midfield rather than go to a back three and then just leave us a little bit overran in the midfield because you're not going to see sort of Sterling or Sancho sort of tuck in to um, help out with that that midfield two of Phillips and Rice. So it made sense to have keep Mount in that 10 role so he could drop in and uh, cover that. So I think that made more sense. It'll be interesting to see what we do against Denmark, but we'll uh, discuss that a little bit later on, I think. Um, talking of the back four, Luke Shaw's the best left-back in the world now, isn't he? So I'm going to be a little controversial here. <coughs> his, his, he was excellent. His attacking um, plays great. His delivery is two assists. Um, excellent. Really, really good. Really good crosses. Really just a strong asset to have on set pieces because we've got we're, we're, we've got quite a lot of solid right-footed options from set pieces. You sort of Mount uh, not Sterling, sorry, Mount um, Trippier, Grealish even. Um, but we we haven't got many options on the left, and he's just so strong. It really it it just changes it. It's a completely different type of free kick you whip in when you're using your opposite foot. Um, the caveat I would say is he hasn't been tested defensively. And there were a couple of times last night where he was, he pushed very high appropriately and, uh, and attacked and we massively benefited from it. There were a couple of times last night where he was very far forward and Ukraine got the ball back. And I felt if it were a better team, they would have punished us. There was a lot of space in behind him when Maguire sort of have, have, has to come over and cover. Um, it's not. It didn't matter last night. Ukraine weren't attacking. That That's fine. That might have been the game plan. But I just... I'm a little concerned about his defensive positioning. And I thought... Um, I, th- I thought when Trippier came on... I, I, I thought when Trippier came on, it kind of... It, it, it validated what Southgate had done in the Croatia game. Starting Trippier left-back, sort of being more solid defensively. And, and he clearly was. He came on and was a lot better it like positionally um defensively wise but sure attacking yeah just excellent delivery superb all game yeah i think that's fair enough there there clearly was the concern from southgate that trip that about shaw's defensive attributes and particularly defensive positioning because clearly he prefers trippier in that sense over on that side and is willing to sacrifice the build-up whether that's right or wrong i don't know we debated that at the start of the tournament, the merits of playing a right-footed left-back. I, I, I think, obviously, you see benefits just because of how good defensively Trippier is, but I think probably you lose too much um, building up. For me, that's kind of my trade-off, but I appreciate Southgate probably differs on that. That said, I think when when Traor's, uh, sorry, when Luke Shaw is offering that much going forward, you've kind of just got to accept that maybe you're going to be a little bit weaker than going the other way. But by, by no means was is he bad defensively, I, I think. Obviously, he, he's still been a part a key, a key part of the defence when we've kept clean sheets now um, for the entire tournament. Obviously, he didn't start there for the first game. But, um, yeah, I, I, I thought I thought he was very good. And, obviously, great deliveries. Really, really gets forward really well. Gives a great option overlapping when Sterling goes inside or something like that. So, yeah. Um, I, th- I thought I thought he was excellent. I'm, I'm really pleased with him. Um, but on the other side, we had Kyle Walker, who is a little bit stinky. What do you think? He oh, he's rapid. <laughs> that that was something. There were a couple of points last night um, when 
when Pickford came out and <coughs> skewed that clearance, um, I, I I thought Kyle Walker was about to overtake the Ukrainian, who seemed to have about a ten yard head start on him. It, it was crazy. Yeah, he he was he was he was decent going forwards. I think it's just he's just a very different kind of player. His his attack his attacking play is not not anywhere near on the level of Shaw. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I mean for him, I, I wasn't I didn't have any defensive concerns really. Um, I think I think Shaw being as attacking as he hit he is and playing the way he plays probably indicates why um, Southgate didn't feel the need to include Alexander-Arnold in that squad before the Euros. Mm. Um, because if you've got Shaw being that attacking and pushing up, you, you can't afford to have that from Trent on the other side. Um, you, that's fine. You, you can have one or the other. Because there were, there were, I felt there were also some times <coughs> where Shaw pushed up and Walker almost tucked in and it kind of, it looked... It, it wasn't quite a back three, but it really did look a lot like one. 100%. Um, which, which is good. Short, uh, Walker, sorry, has that um, versatility and he can do that. Um, that's something that I, I know is it's a moot point because Alexander-Arnold's injured. But that's something that if we had full-backs both that attacking, I, I wouldn't feel at all comfortable with that. Yeah, fair enough. I... I, te- I tend to agree. I think that Walker has been absolutely fine the entire tournament. I thought he was okay yesterday. He, ma- he made a couple of unforced errors yesterday, which was the frustrating part. There's a, I think it's a pass backwards that ended up getting intercepted, and suddenly we're on the on the back foot. And then Stones did quite well. And then it was um, yeah, did did Stones cut it out? Or was it saved by Pickford? I think it was saved by Pickford in the end. Um, but so that that's that's a bit of a concern because you can't you can't afford to do that too often, um, and there was just a couple of those last night from Walker. But his recovery pace is so good that actually on the rare occasion he does make a make a bit of a blunder, he recovers for it. I think that's I think that's why he's probably not getting that many plaudits. Is as you say, I think he's being told to sort of stay a bit deeper and all actually tuck in because you're absolutely right. He we basically ended up when Shaw pushed really high, basically ended up with a back three. Walker really tucked in. And I agree with you. I wouldn't want both of the fullbacks flying constantly. That said, against Ukraine, I was a little bit disappointed to see him tucking in to form a back three when we were four nil up. I just think at that point, I think, you know, get forward and help create something. But look, that's, that's by the by. And we kept a clean sheet and maybe that helps. So it's no biggie. But. Yeah, I I think Walker's okay, and I think he's still comfortably, probably first choice right back uh, moving forward. I can't really see him being replaced unless obviously we move to a back three, in which case he'll become the right centre back, and presumably Trippier will go in at right wing back. So Walker will probably keep his place, but what about our wide players? Do we see Sancho keeping his place against Denmark? So I. I didn't think Sancho was bad at all. Um, I thought he looked quite good. There was that that point when he he and Sterling were quite fluid in the first half, especially they were switching over quite a lot, uh, which kept Ukraine on their toes. Um, it, Sterling did that against Germany as well when he when he got pushed over onto the right when Grealish came on. <coughs> He's just a quality player, but Sancho. So st- I I kind of feel 
like Southgate has been a little bit vindicated for not starting him, or, or rather the re- the reasons for not starting him, I thought were very evident when watching that game. <clears throat> not not because he's a bad player, but because of the system and the style of play that Southgate wants to play. He at um at Dortmund he plays in quite a fluid attacking side. They're like very strong in transition, um, <clears throat> and and they take risks. There are there are high risk. High risk, high reward. Um, that that is very much not the sort of approach Gareth Southgate takes. He doesn't like his players taking risks. We kind of touched on it with Rice. He's a very different player for England than he has been at West Ham. He's a lot more conservative, playing those backward and sideways passes when he might, for West Ham, carry it or pass it a little further or, to, or make a more attacking pass. Um, I thought Sancho he took a f- he took quite a few more risks earlier and kind of grew into the game and was a little more conservative i don't know if southgate was in his ear at half time or on the sideline or what what but he was just I, I, this this isn't this isn't a criticism at all or a compliment it's just sort of trying to get in southgate's head he like he clearly wants players who don't take risks and don't sort of there are a few times where he there were a few times where he made an excellent dribble um and he got past some really tight spaces there was one where he drew that foul um but there were also a few which he attempted and got tackled, and we lost the ball. Um, and, and that's what you get from that sort of player. But that's not not remotely the kind of approach that Southgate wants. He doesn't want his players doing that. Yeah, that's fair enough. I thought I I agree with you in that you can see why from that performance why Southgate was leaving him out. I think Dortmund play a lot more transitionally than England do, whereas we build a lot slower. And I think it just takes a minute for Sancho to adapt. That said, that is still Southgate's job to put him in a position where he can adapt because he's still clearly going to be one of our biggest threats against um, low, like sort of packed defences to get, to get through them. And as you saw yesterday, I mean, he, he was, he was still in terms of attacking players. So, okay. Taking out the, I think Shaw and Maguire, who obviously in their positions are going to carry the ball a lot just to step out of defence. Sancho had the highest progressive different distance and just distance carried out of our attacking players. So that's very, very, very good. And that's exciting. That's what you want from your winger. He was doing it more than Sterling, not that Sterling had a bad game, but that's sort of what you're going to get from someone like Sancho in the same that you get from someone like Grealish. Um, and I thought he looked very exciting when he got the ball as well. Um, yeah, which, which which is what you want. You like to see attacking players doing something you want to you want to see individuals try and create something in the final third um so that but obviously he wasn't quite adept with the system which but you know for tactical reasons he doesn't just slot straight into that team which i do understand but i still i still think he merits a place um in this starting 11 i still think he's our best right-sided winger um so i'd like i'd like to see him keep his place I do also wonder whether there's a bit of a joke that obviously, as soon as he has signed for Manchester United, he's got a starting place for England. And obviously, you know, we we discussed this. It'll obviously be criminal if Southgate wasn't aware of his domestic form. He is obviously going to be watching Sancho play for Dortmund. So I don't, I don't think it's that. But I do wonder whether maybe Southgate cares. Uh, Southgate seems to care a lot about the welfare of his players, and I do wonder whether. 
he was just keeping Sancho out of the limelight whilst those negotiations were going on. I, I, I really don't know. It's a slight just sort of bit of guesswork, but I wonder whether he just didn't want the media to jump on the back of Sancho if he didn't perform well whilst there was rumours circulating about him moving to Manchester United. That said, I don't know whether Southgate would sacrifice someone he genuinely wanted to play off the basis of what the media reaction might be um, based on transfer negotiations. So I don't know, but I do I do wonder. He does seem to protect his players a lot. And I just think maybe whether it's due to the transfer saga or whether he just didn't think that he was ready to play in this system. He clearly just kept held him back. I don't agree with that. I think Sancho should have been starting from the start of the tournament. I think he's probably our best attacking attacking player. But there's there's definitely things that you could see against Ukraine that indicate why Southgate was leaving him out. You can't really blame Southgate for being cautious and protecting his players from the wrath of the English media. Given given what he'll have gone through himself, I, I, know, I know neither of us were alive at the time when he missed his penalty, so weren't there to see the headlines. But you, you've seen them, like the, 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 we've seen the sort of the the big the the mail and whatever the sudden stuff going around. They've been all around Twitter the past few weeks, um, and it's clearly something that still plays on his mind. He like his whole this whole thing for him is redemption. You, he said it in an interview. He's saying like. I still feel awful for it, like I I I let those players down, and and even though obviously those players don't feel that way, I think Shearer came out and said like, no, but we like <laughs> we obviously no. don't look at you as a failure because of one mistake. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't. If it was if it was that over over the sort of the uncertainty to do with his future and the speculation, and mm. I, I kind of. It's a crit- it's a valid criticism, but I'm willing to give Southgate a bit of a free pass on that, given mm. what he's been through himself, and like he he really will understand what it's like to be negatively attacked by the British media. The yeah, British media. A- absolutely, and we've seen it time and time again with young black English football players as well, in particular, that constantly get targeted. So keeping them out of the limelight, I can understand. Um, but anyway, moving on to another player who is knocking on the door for a starting place is Jordan Henderson. He obviously got a cameo against Ukraine. A little more than a cameo. He got himself a goal as well. What did you think of his performance? <clears throat> Should he be starting against Denmark? Uh, yeah, I think he's pro- probably just surpassed uh, Zidane after that game last night. He's, <laughs> they were sort of even before it. No, I love him. He's just, he had a great game. He um, he came on, he made the most passes of any midfielder on the pitch and he came on in the 58th minute. Um, he was, like, like I was saying about Rice last last time, the, the, the sort of conservative passes, Henderson can do that, but it was just very clear to me that he, he is that kind of level above both Phillips and Rice, and that's not that's not slagging either of them off because I think they're both great players. But Henderson is just that—he's that little bit. He is that little bit better. He's a Premier League and Champions League winner, like, you, and he's cap- he's he's a Premier League and Champions League winning captain. You you don't get there by sort of just being average, or you don't you don't get there for 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 all the for all Rice and Phillips strengths. Henderson Henderson objectively is a better player. And his passing, he was very. I thought he was a lot more progressive with his passing forwards. Um, I thought. I, I think that was. He, he probably. He also looked quite good because I don't think. I don't think Phillips had 
Um, I think Phillips probably had his worst game of the tournament. It wasn't bad. He was just fairly, uh, just fairly anonymous. And I thought he got some of his, his, the timing on some of his pressing, I thought he got quite wrong. There were a few times where he'd go in and press and the Ukrainian would just get past him with ease, which is not at all what we've seen from him the rest of this tournament. Um, Henderson as well, lovely, lovely taking goal. I was kind of, the header came in, I thought it was Stones at first, and then the camera panned to him, and it was Henderson celebrating. And I sort of celebrated the goal, and then saw it was Henderson, and celebrated it again, because it was Henderson. I was loving it. But yeah, if, if he's if he's fit to start, he has to start for me. Cause I, and I, I, think, I think he showed that he has to start. The question then is, if it's Rice or Phillips who drops out of the team, and I think you're not going to like it, but I think it's probably Phillips who drops out of the team. Um, he brought Rice off first there with them both being on yellow cards. I think that probably shows us who he was a little more concerned about protecting. But, but I, I mean, Phillips and Henderson would be fine <laughs> as well, obviously. Yeah, I, I wouldn't read too much into this substitute just because there was about eight minutes between them. So okay. I'm not sure if necessarily that is indicative of his concern over which player he would uh, prioritise um, basically being safe from a second yellow. Also, he started both of them and he could have taken them both off or one off, off at halftime and he didn't. Um, but on, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about um, potential lineups for Denmark a little bit later on in the episode. But on Henderson against Ukraine. Yeah, he, he he was obviously fantastic. Looked very, very good on the ball. His passing was really good. Moved the ball fairly quickly and just seemed to put a bit more energy into the performance at a time in the game where I think we were obviously well in control and just looking a little bit ponderous and just quite happy to keep the ball. And Henderson just gave us a little bit more zip to go, actually, we can we can push on here and get ourselves another goal. Obviously took his goal well as well. My only concern, and I do think this is a slight game state thing because during the, I think he was on for about 35 minutes, something like that. Um, yeah. He, so, you know, in that period of time, Ukraine didn't have that much of the ball, but his, his pressures were non-existent. Like he doesn't offer, like Phillips, I agree with you, didn't have his best game and his successful pressure percentage was well down. But his number of pressures in the middle third of the pitch was still easily the highest at 17 in that, in that area of the pitch alone. Yes, it wasn't always working, but Henderson wasn't doing that at all. And look, there is a game state thing there, as I say, because Henderson didn't have perhaps as many opportunities to do it, but he put, he put up like four attempted pressures in 35 minutes, which I just wonder whether Southgate would be happy sacrificing two really, really good presses in Phillips and Rice to allow Henderson to come on and do some of the more ball-oriented stuff. Look, this isn't that Henderson's lazy or anything like that. He just, he's not the same sort of energetic presser in that sense in the middle of the park. So I don't know. Um, we'll see. But I, I, it was great to see Henderson have a good performance because whether he starts or doesn't start, it would be good to have him as an option um, against Denmark. Definitely. Um, how did you think the Ukraine were in general? Um, they grew into that first half. I mean, they, they obviously had quite a poor start. Um, 
and they pushed up actually in in that in that first half they attacked a bit more than i expected them to um i, I after that first goal <coughs> i didn't necessarily expect us to score a second immediately but i thought they might be a bit more cagey and defensive and still be keeping it tight for because when 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 your goal when a goal goes in that early it's it's cliche but it's the best time to concede you don't really have to change your game plan too much um and and they yeah they pushed forward and really went for the attack but then the second half as soon as soon as that goal went in in the first minute of the second half that was game over really and 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 after the third, they just looked shot. They looked absolutely tired. They were they were going down quite a lot, and it, and it wasn't like it wasn't cheating. It wasn't doing in Italy. It was like they were genuinely just knackered and hurt from the last the um, game before, where they had to play the extra game. They um, they'd obviously had a suspension, which I thought was unfair, but whatever. We we won't go back over that. Um, yeah, they were just knackered by the end of the game. It was they they. What one once that second goal came came in, I wasn't I wasn't even a bit concerned. Even with England, even with England's track record, I wasn't. I, I just felt they didn't offer huge amounts. Yeah, they huge, huge credits to Ukraine because I think they've been very disciplined and really well organised and done very very well this tournament and. Obviously, Shevchenko has got them further than they've ever been before in a major tournament. Quarterfinals of the Euros is a phenomenal achievement. Um, they Their tournament has been defined by really tight, compact, low blocks and a lot of energy to keep teams out. And I just, as you say, I just don't think they have the legs to carry that, carry that on into this game. They set up to nullify our attack and sit really deep, and it obviously didn't work because we scored within five minutes. And as soon as that happens and that's your setup, you're going to really struggle. Credit to them, they then held us out, held us out until um, it was right at the start of the second half, wasn't it? Uh, that we got the second. So to 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 keep to keep us nullified for the rest of that first half, you do think well, are they going to have something in the second half that might just might just nick a goal, but. Obviously, as soon as we score straight out of the blocks in the second half as well, scoring right at the start of each half, which we've spoken about before, is something that England very, very much try and do. They try and come out really aggressively in the first five, ten minutes of each half, hope, hoping to score, I think, because you just kill teams if you do that. It's so demoralising to concede at that stage of a game. So that was brilliant from us, and their, their low block tactic just didn't work. They just, I just don't think they had the legs, and all, frankly, the players, I think we, we were too good for them. There was there was one thing of note that I thought at one stage they did sort of switch to more of a sort of a fourth fourth three three and started running a lot more direct at us and that did cause us a couple of problems. You know, just destabilized us for a bit and we had to sort of readjust. But for the for the most part, yeah, they they didn't really cause us too much problems. Yeah, credit credit to them as you say. Like they they've they've got the furthest they've ever been. They've got a like a legend of their country managing them <clears throat> and they've also got a they, they they don't it's not like he's failed they keep mm. him in and you have something to build from 100%. um and i know you look they've lost four nil but quite frankly that wasn't that wasn't a humiliating result by any means and they've done themselves and their country proud mm. absolutely could not agree more or end that section better 
So we'll move on to the next uh, segment. So we're going to talk through our favorite games, etc. This is getting a lot more, sorry, a lot less interesting because there are not nearly as many games or players left in the tournament. But we obviously did have uh, four games in this quarterfinal. So, Callum, which of those four games, other than the England game, because I'm not going to let you pick that, um, was your favorite game? Yeah, I'd got I'd got England written down, but I had got another one next to it because I didn't think you would. Um, I I I really enjoyed the Spain Switzerland game. <coughs> um, okay, I thought it was another farcical red card, um, but which was just sort of typical from the English referees. Uh, the English referee, I, I saw um, I I saw a comment. There's obviously been all the the really bitter comments going, oh, England are playing at home, they've got such an advantage. Yeah, so have other teams, and some of them have gone through, some of them have gone out. It's how it works, get over it. <laughs> but someone said, the biggest thing, advantage the English have is that they never have to face the Premier League referees, and that's spot on, to be fair, because they're just terrible. They're just like, for, for how for how like developed a nation we are football-wise, they're just not up to scratch. And, and I think in international tournaments especially, it is noticeable. Every time in every international tournament, I kind of I'm aware of it. The um, yeah, I, I, it was just another another one where he played the ball and hardly even followed through. To be honest, it it wasn't he went in with it wasn't quite two feet. He had it. He had his second leg dragging and took the player out, and then the VAR seemed to look at it for about ten seconds and then just brush over it. I th- I think I said last time the. Something I th- I feel teams need to do more is practice playing against ten men and having a bit of a game plan. And Spain, Spain kind of proved me right there. They 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 had they just had no idea how to take advantage of it. There wasn't they they had lots of chances and some shots, but they ever I mean Sommer seemed to have a magnet on him. It it wasn't that he was making like wonder saves. Just every single shot went straight at him, and he held it really well. Um. They just didn't know how to take advantage of it. They didn't. They didn't overload us one side or anything. They didn't. I thought they might have. I th- I kind of hope they might be clever. The way they pass, they're very fluid and fast moving with the passing. I thought they might have just taken an extra, taken one of their their men and gone. Actually, you're a free. You're a free roll, or, or even a few and gone. You, you guys alternate between your position and someone be a free roll and just have that extra man and really overload. Just pass through them and they'd have scored. And they just didn't really seem to do that. Um, other balance of it, Spain going through on penalties was fair, even though we all we all mm. wanted Switzerland to go through. Really, you love the underdog story, mm. but yeah, in, yeah, a really enjoyable game to watch and fair result in the end. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I don't really have too much to add. I agree with you. Other than what I will say, you said that Spain were bad against the ten man Switzerland, which. Yes, they weren't exactly brilliant. I not thought nec- I thought they were bad, worse against. But they just, they just didn't they just didn't take advantage. <laughs> I was just going to say that I thought that they were worse against eleven man Switzerland. I think you look at you look at the shot map for the game, and up until the red card in the seventy seventh minute, it's pretty even, and both teams are looking fairly likely to to create something. And obviously with the caveat that Spain were dominating most of the ball as they tend to. And then it completely changes to obviously Spain dominance after the 77th minute when the red card uh, comes for Freuler. I agree with you. It's uh, 
it's a hard, it's a harsh red card. It's a really harsh red card. You don't really like to see them, but um, and it really, it really did change the game because I obviously just before the red card, Switzerland score, and you think maybe that's when things are going to turn and Switzerland might be able to get themselves away with a win, but that red card just completely gives Spain possession. And yeah, they, they weren't necessarily take, they didn't necessarily then take advantage of their man advantage as well as they possibly should have done, but they obviously just dominated the game from that point on because Switzerland just couldn't get themselves into it. And they were atrocious with their penalties. It was really, was really, really, really poor. Um, but anyway, um, my favorite game is the, it's the Belgium game. It, look, it was it wasn't like a it wasn't like a brilliant, brilliant game of football, but I like that Italy are still were, were still playing the same way that they have been the entire tournament against a bigger side like Belgium, and obviously ultimately coming out on top. A lot of that had to do with um, how poor I think Belgium were, but I mean it it was I I, I I'll talk about it in a second, but I really love Barella. And what a goal that was from Insignia. I presume you... Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I saw that. I saw that. That. <laughs> that that was just unbelievable. When you have a moment like moment of magic like that, I just thought that was brilliant. Um, yeah, I just, I just really, really enjoyed Italy's performance. And I think I've been a little bit surprised that they've managed to still look very accomplished later in the tournament. Um, and they look like they'll be well worth their possibly spot in the final if they do overcome Spain. But we'll we'll preview that in a little bit. Um how about your favourite individual performance then? Um so I, I've I've decided to go for Kane here because <coughs> he just he really turned up in the way that you expect Harry Kane to. He scored a couple of great goals. Um well a couple of that that first one just pat, knocked it past the keeper. Obviously the keeper gets a touch but you, you, no matter what tournament Harry Kane's having, when that ball goes to him, I think there will be pubs around England celebrating well before the balls hit the back of the net there. Um, and then a really, really good header. I, I just, I just think he had a very good game, led the line well, and he'll have been frustrated to come off on a hat trick, but it is what it is. You, you need to rest when you're, when you're 4 0 up at, that, that we are. It was. It was kind of ideal that it was comfortable, so Southgate could put those subs on and rest everyone. And Kane just suffered a little bit from that. But I am. I'm going to give a special mention to Jeremy Doku again because I thought mm. he was probably Belgium's brightest spark. Um, I I love De Bruyne, but he was fairly disappointing. I felt for a player of his caliber, as as he can be in big games i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to push a narrative that he doesn't turn up in big games but he can be anonymous and he my dad made the point he he's not sort of ability wise he should be up there with your sort of your your messi and ronaldo like really to, to be honest he's got that ability he just doesn't consistently affect a game from first to last minute in the way that players like that do like like well i don't know if you caught the Argentina score last night was two messy assists and then a free mm. kick and sort of really dragging his team through and De Bruyne for all his all his um, excellence is not that sort of player at, at all no no he isn't I, I also don't think that's 
necessarily a criticism of Kevin De Bruyne. He, he's, no. he's a midfield player that pulls strings mostly with his passing. Therefore, he requires excellent movement ahead of him in order for him to pull off incredible passes. He can do the unthinkable in terms of shifting play, but he does need people to help him with that. Whereas someone like Messi will literally grab a game by the scruffer's neck because he'll just pick up the ball and do everything himself. He's one of those sorts of players that if he if he's you know sort sort of um on fire, he'll he'll just change the game by himself because he just can. Um whereas yeah De Bruyne isn't that sort of player. So if there's players around him that aren't performing, then he's not going to look as good. But on Jeremy Doku, yeah the he he attempted thirteen dribbles and nine of them were successful. That's wow. That's absolutely insane. Uh, obviously, a, a, a dribble being when you carry the ball and beat a man, uh, or attempt to beat a man, or do beat a man. Obviously, in this uh, instance, you know th- th- those are Adama Traore numbers in terms of um, who, who is just an elite dribbler. Obviously, that, that's insane, and he he was absolutely brilliant. And if he can just, as is the case, I think a lot with really nice young um, attacking wingers that are great at carrying the ball, it's just end product. And it's just whether he can turn his fantastic dribbling ability into getting into really dangerous areas of the pitch and then putting something on a plate for someone or scoring himself. Because I still don't think he's like a, a particularly great finisher. Uh, he had that one decent shot, but I, I he, he's, not, he's not particularly clinical. He's sort of shown that, I think, uh, during his time at Wren recently. Um, so... We'll see, but he 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 was very much enjoyable, and yeah, on Harry Kane as well, because he did, was it Harry Kane that actually got your uh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I just thought I'd give Doku a lot. Yeah, bit, no, hundred percent, I couldn't agree more. Doku was brilliant, but yeah, and Harry he won Kane, the pen, didn't he? Yes, he did. Um, oh, absolutely rapid to get in behind there as well. I'm not sure, quite sure how he managed that, but yeah, on Harry Kane, I think what I what I liked the most about it, obviously he got two goals, but it was a much more involved performance from him as well. He put up. Um, 18 pressures, uh, he completed 16 passes, uh, he, he even made 19 uh, ball carries, so he, he was just far more in the game, and his dropping deep was working a lot more than I think it has done previously, he obviously, I think he picked his moments as well, because he, he stayed on the last man to obviously score two really sort of poachers goals as well, so just, yeah, brilliant from Harry Kane, and that's kind of what you want. And it's nice that it's looking like that goal against Germany has sort of opened the floodgates. That can only be um, of a benefit for England moving into the semi-final and hopefully the final as well. Um, it was your individual. My favourite individual performance was actually, I've, I've got down Barella, uh, yeah. Italian lad. He's, he's looked so good in that midfield, in that kind of free 8 role, almost a 10 um, with, was Locatelli now, it's Verratti sort of dropping in and sitting alongside Jorginho at times and just offering a bit more cover for him. He's just, he's, he's so unbelievably created, uh, creative, sorry. I just, I just love watching him play and I don't, I don't really have much more else to say. He got, he got himself a goal finally, which, um, I was really happy to see and that was a really well worked goal. He sort of shifted the ball really nicely and it was a absolutely excellent finish. So credit to him. Um, yeah. big, big fan. And he technically got the assist for Insignia as well, despite the fact yes. that, uh, Insignia did most of the work on that. <laughs> it was a very goal. Busquets assist, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, I just I love watching Barella play. I just think he's so much fun. Um, and I'd rather selfishly, I'd love him to come to the Premier League next year. Oh, hundred percent. There's there's a few there's a few of these players that we have seen 
this tournament that you're just thinking, oh, it'd be great. Like, I think, obviously, Perella, I think um, Damsgaard, um, I think, obviously, Locatelli, um, there's the Do- Doku, Shit. even. Uh, Shit. Shit. He, he yes, seems like a bit absolutely. of a Bielsa wet dream to me. Schick, Schick would actually be brilliant at Leeds if we didn't already have Patrick Bamford, who is literally never going to be dropped uh, yeah. until the day he dies. But yeah, <laughs> no, I would. Uh, if, if we were to suddenly lose Patrick Bamford, either through injury or he moved, he moved on. Uh, yeah, I, I would absolutely love Schick. He'd do that job really well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he he's been excellent. And credit to him because he's he's been in a you know a, de- a decent Czech Republic side, but nothing you know too fancy, and he's got himself five goals and that's yeah that's that's insane he's currently top scorer isn't he uh yeah joint with ronaldo, ronaldo yeah uh, which poss- possibly might not be overtaken i mean yeah I, I i don't know who's who's knocking on the door there i mean harry kane's got three now he could uh sterling's get on three as well isn't he sterling's on three um hat-trick for each of them next game then yeah i don't, <laughs> I don't spain who do does Spain have anyone on three? No, no. Every, every Spain have been having different goal scorers yeah. the whole time. I don't. I I don't know how many Spanish players have scored more than one goal actually, because it does seem to be a completely different player every time. Yeah, it does. I think I think Sarabia's scored twice. But yeah. Otherwise, but that's, that's classic Spain. They've never. They've never. Yeah, they've never that played true, with actually. that like striker. They've never had the sort of top like the. Big well, they, there's a, you've obviously you've got your Torres and your Villas, but like that that's not how Spain play. That's not their approach. They don't need that. It's like them them having lots of different goal scorers is just evidence of how they play. It's not a criticism at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm just checking here. It's yeah, Ronaldo and Schick on five. Then Benzema, Forsberg, Lukaku all have four, and then Shakiri, Sterling, Dolberg, Lewandowski. Adam, I could go on for a little bit, but um, Kane, Sterling. <laughs> Kane, Sterling are the only ones on three that have uh, still in the tournament. And then Dolberg, did you Dolberg? Dol, 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 oh yeah, sorry, and Dolberg on three as well. Yeah, so it's we'll see. it's not it's not going to be easy to catch those five goals, but we'll we'll see we'll see. Um, anyway, moving on, biggest surprise of the game week. Um, there weren't, there weren't many, or there weren't any surprising results, really. Um, I, I, I've written down the fact that England won 4-0, and that's not, that's not, (laughs) that's not slagging off this group of players, that's slagging off every other group of players that England has ever had, um, in my lifetime anyway, and well be, well before. (laughs) Um, they're just got sort of breeder-like just an attitude of uh, letting you down and it was one of those games that that was the result we needed and the correct result for how we played but it would have just been very uh, it would have been very typical England of England of four or five years ago would probably have lost that game either on penalties extra time or like a dodgy 1-0 it's just it it was the sort of typical game that you, you get maybe over the big hurdle and then just just Fall at what should be the easy one, and I think that's that's probably comes from years of supporting Sunderland as well. You never, whenever you feel remotely confident, you just get let down. It's like if if you go into a game feeling confident, you lose. That's kind of my experience with football up, up till now, basically. Yeah, it was very it was very different to obviously any other any other game, and 
great. It, it, look, it's great, great to see England kind of put the sword to someone in this tournament. I feel like we were going to get levelled with the overly pragmatic, overly defensive and conservative and just you know, winning 1-0. Obviously, we beat Germany 2-0. Um, so it was nice to go to a, with all due respect to Ukraine, a lesser uh, nation and smash them 4-0. Um, I think it, it's a good statement of intent and particularly at this part of the tournament. So that was good to see. Um, my biggest surprise is either... It's probably, I'm, I'm going to say my biggest surprise is Chiesa starting for Italy because he's been... Okay. Uh, Mancini's been quite wedded to playing both Berardi and Insigne uh, on either side both of them cutting in and just unleashing shots constantly Chiesa started he obviously came on in the round of 16 and scored against Austria in extra time and then started against Belgium and I just think he offers something a little bit different and I I think it was was a surprise to see him start but I was really happy to see him start because he offers just a little bit of something different he kind of runs in behind rather than constantly coming centrally and trying to um, take a shot. So nice to see him try and stretch the defences. And I think he caused um, that quite slow Belgian back line a lot more problems than possibly Berardi would have done. So uh, that's my biggest surprise. Um, biggest disappointment? Um, biggest disappointment. So the only... Uh, Bel- Belgium were very... were disappointing... It wasn't necessarily the result, though. But I've gone. I've gone for an individual. I've gone for Damsgaard, um, which I mentioned to you just before we got got on air, as it were. But I really love it. I, I really rate him. He's had a great tournament. Um, if he hadn't had such a great tournament, if 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 say Eriksen had played the rest of the tournament and had just got injured last game, and Damsgaard had had to come in this game. I wouldn't be saying it's a disappointment at all. It's just because he's had such a good tournament, he set himself some very high standards. And I thought he was really poor. He, he didn't do a lot off the ball, but he was really poor in possession. He just made the wrong decisions quite a few times. Um, even when he did make the right decisions, it just didn't come off for him. Um, he just misplaced a few passes. Bad day at the office. He's, he's, he's 20 and been thrown in. Completely unexpectedly, I'm I'm not writing him off just yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I, fair enough. He he probably wasn't as good as he has been this tournament, um, but I still love him, and I want <laughs> I want to I want to see him get a big move because I'm excited about him. Um, my biggest disappointment is actually your initial statement, which is Belgium. I thought I thought they were rubbish. Um, I, it's it's so disappointing. Other than the thing is, we, we've spoken previously about how we were a little bit concerned, particularly in the group stage, about whether Italy would buckle a little bit once they face a better team, a team that could really stretch their slow centre-backs in uh, Bonucci and Chiellini. And other than Jeremy Doku, who ran at players constantly and caused problems, nobody nobody got in behind enough. And... Uh, they didn't get the ball to Lukaku enough. Um, I just thought I just thought it was really, really disappointing because Italy are there to be exploited. Look, Italy are a really good side and Mancini's got them really well drilled playing some really, really nice football. But Bel- Belgium have unbelievable talent and I just... I really just didn't think that they showed up at all, particularly. And they obviously, they got one goal through a penalty, um, which... 
was completely created by Doku in isolation. And I think it was a penalty, but even that was quite soft. Um, I yeah. thought they were fairly lucky to to get away with that. I think you know Doku did well to get round him and get on the wrong side. And as soon as that happens, you're you're <clears> in trouble if you if you make contact. But um, really, really disappointed from Belgium because that's that's their golden generation, and you just wonder whether they're going to have another chance. Well, it is. It's been just on that penalty. It's it's one of those that. Um... If it hadn't have been given, I don't think VAR would have given it. But it, it was never overturning it once it had yeah. been given. Yeah, um, uh, 100%. But uh, yeah, as you say, that's their, their golden generation. That's been talked about for like, well, for years. They've been, they've been that. This I I missed, I completely mistakenly um, referred to them as having quite a young squad uh, in the preview podcast. And then realise that they have the oldest squad at the tournament. So it's completely wrong there. Because it's just that they've been talked about as this golden generation of sort of growing and like really going to do something. And I just, I, I just sort of in my head, I was like, well, they, they've not been setting the world alight yet. They must still be, there must still be some growing they've got to do. And it's not, this is kind of the peak of those players that, of that golden generation, sort of both hazards, the, obviously Eden not coming off the back of a great season. He'd, he's one of the players, I think, who suffered most from, um, the Euro 2020, Euro 2020 being played in 2021, because mm. he obviously was superb for Chelsea and then has had quite a net, well, just quite a poor first season for, um, Madrid. Um, but yeah, the, the talent they have in that squad, they, they should have tested Italy more and have absolutely have the ability to. And I don't, I think, I think, Blame has to lie with the manager, to be honest. Um, who I'm, I'm not the hugest fan of to start with. I was kind of when the appointment when the appointment first happened, like years ago. I was very surprised when he came in. Um, but yeah, that is by the by that that this is probably their best chance to to have gone all the way, and they messed yeah. it up. No, hundred percent, and they they easily should be. Doing better. They over the last, uh, I guess, couple of tournaments, they have perennially been spoken about as the team that are going to do something. They've got a great, great set of players, and they do. And yeah, look, Martinez maybe not um, a brilliant club manager, but he's, he's. I think he's a decent international manager. Um, and but they're just not. They're just not performing to the level that they should. And you look at. The squad. I've just got the squad up in front of me, and look, m- most of them will probably be okay for the World Cup because look, that's in a year and a half's time. They will probably be able to make it, you know, with what one more year on their age. But you're talking about a back line of Eldaviraud, Vermalin. I didn't even know Vermalin was still playing until <laughs> I saw him pop up in this squad. I mean, he is so. He's 35. He's so Vertonghen old as well. Vertonghen as well, obviously, alongside him. He's 34. Um, and Alderweire is maybe thirty-two, something like that. Um, so not exactly young. Both wing backs, as you say, I think Munier is twenty-nine. Torgan Hazard the same, maybe or twenty-eight, something like that. De Bruyne's already thirty. Uh, Witzel's thirty-two. Lukaku is even—he's uh, twenty-eight, so he's in his peak. But once the after the World Cup next year, once the next one after that rolls around, he's probably gone. Um, you would have thought probably not going to be. Well, he, he might be. I don't, I don't know. Um, and even even the lads on the bench like coming through. I mean, you 
other than that back three defenders that we've seen, they've got Boyata and uh, Denaya. And Denaya's 26 and Boyata's 30. Is he? Yeah. I thought, so, wow, I didn't know yeah. that. So, I mean, De- Denaya or... I mean, he's probably going to be forming the spine of that back mm. three or back two, depending on whether it changes or whether they get a new manager in or whatever. Um, but they're, they're not looking good because this is a proper overhaul and I don't know whether they've got loads and loads of prospects coming through because you look at you look at what's on their bench, which you would ideally have... Your bench would be looking like the sort of prospects coming through at the very least. If not, obviously you're starting them full stop. And other than sort of Doku... Um, I guess Leandro Trossard's maybe like mid-twenties as well, but you, you, you've not got lots of options there. Mertens as well probably isn't going to make another tournament because he's 34. So I, I I think they're going to drop down to a subpar nation. I can't I can't see... I think this, this squad, pretty much as it is, might have another stab at the World Cup, but then that's it. Then it's going to be a, a yeah. big, big change. Well, as they were before this generation, they're not. They're not exactly a big nation. They're not. They've They've got... They're not a big footballing nation, like as in like it's not like they've got teams sort of. It's not like they've got teams who are performing highly in in European leagues or anything. They're just that. Then this is this is a very unique and well timed generation of players coming through, and I feel like I just I just yeah, it, it is a failure. There's not it, it's it's very Englandy. Yeah. No, 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 it, it is. And I, I, I will hasten to add, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if it's Martinez's fault. I'm, gen- I'm genuinely not sure because I do think that at times they look very well drilled and very well set up and it, it seems to work quite well. But I, I don't, I don't know what it is, whether it is that set of players or whether it is Martinez. I don't know, but they should be getting a lot more, um, out of, out of that group of players. But anyway, that, that is a shame because there, there's some excellent players there and I, I really thought that, Maybe this year would be the one, but there we go. Um, anyway, should we move on and preview the uh, semi-final games? Mm. Yeah, so we'll start with Spain-Italy then. This, to me, strikes me as a bit of a battle for possession. I think Italy have looked to dominate the ball mostly and have looked very good with uh, really smart attacking interchanges. And then Spain have looked just very slow and build up and like to dominate the ball in order to um, restrict what the opposition can do to them. So how do you see that playing out? Um, I, I think it'll be fairly tight. Again, I can't see that being a very high-scoring game. Um, Spain obviously just have to do better with the chances they get given. I've seen I've seen a lot of credit for Summer um, after their Croatia game. And, and fair play, he made loads of saves. But I, I said earlier, he... It did. It just seemed like he had a magnet. Everything went to him, and he he held it all really well. But it wasn't like he was making sort of wonder saves, and you were going, "Oh, that's that's an amazing save." I, I'd imagine sort of he wasn't massively overperforming what we'd expect on post shot xG. Mm. But um, but but the Spaniards really were underperforming on the big chances because they they had quite a few just op- like really decent opportunities and they just failed to test him and they're not going to get as many chances like that against um, Italy and if you get a chance you have to make them pay because Italy will make you pay as they've 
shown mm. all tournament. I, I think I can't really, I can't really see Spain doing it. To be honest, um, I, I think it'll be another another Italy win, probably another tight one, a one nil, maybe a two one. What what result are you going for? I'll I'll, I'll go one nil Italy. I'll go one nil Italy. I, I just I really don't. It's not. It's not. It's not exactly going to be an open game. It's going to be quite tight. I just. I don't see Spain being able to do it. Yeah, I. I do think I agree with you. I'm sort of surprised that Spain have got this far. I. I, I remember saying during the group stage that they seemed like they were sleepwalking towards a group stage exit, and then they obviously smashed Slovakia five nil because that's what happens when I make a call. It obviously has to be proved dramatically wrong immediately after I express a hot take. But I just, I can't see them getting past the Sicily side with the sort of very, very just just very slow possession-based football that they're playing at the moment. There's no incision. I think what we've been waiting for is someone to properly test that Italy back line. And I just, I can't see it happening. I can't see them sort of looking to get it behind really quickly and take advantage of the space that's there. Um, I would love to see them throw on someone, at least for a period of time, someone like Adama Traore, just to get running at those defenders. I mean, obviously, Italy are going to be without Spinazzola now. So who's going to play at left back? I'm not sure. Probably Emerson. Um, so I think he's exploitable full stop. But particularly the way that it's... I don't know whether they'd do something a little bit different with Spinazzola out, but their left back's been pushing very high. Di Lorenzo on the right-hand side tucks in to make this back three. There's a lot of space down the width for them to exploit. And someone like Adama Traore could have a field day if you try and get in behind them. But I just, you know, they haven't given... Luis Enrique hasn't given him any <coughs> minutes so far. So, well, he has given him yeah. a couple of minutes at right back. But I, I can't see it happening. And I just, without, without being a little bit more direct and trying to get in behind Italy's back line, I can't see them... I can't see Italy being broken down through this really ponderous possession style football in the way that they've managed to break down other teams. Yeah, I, I think something something I've kind of I have noticed about Spain throughout the whole tournament is there've been plenty of points in games where the game has just been crying out for Adama Traore, mm. Traore and clearly the manager's not a, clearly the manager's not a fan. I don't. <coughs> he's just a, he's a very different type of player to anything else Spain have. And they're really, really... They they lack pace. They've got... They're not... They've not got any fast players in that side. That's and different. and Traore is that, and he can carry it and just does something that no one else can. And there are... They, they've obviously made it through without him, but there have been quite a few ch- times where I've been like, actually, if you just put Traore on here now, he's going to drive at them. They're yeah. going to shit themselves. Because defenders do. That's the sort yeah. of player who... You hear all the ex-pros... It, it, that, that's the that's sort of player who I'd imagine in sort of 10-15 years when you have the, the ex-pros of this generation on um, Sky Sports being asked who's the most difficult, like the, the wing-backs being asked like who's the most difficult player you've played against. Triore will be one of the most common names because he's just, he's so fast and strong and and good with the ball as well. He's, he's terrifying to defend against and I don't know why when you have that in your arsenal you wouldn't use it. Uh, absolutely, he just he, he's just a a walking question mark for the opposition because you constantly have to think. As you say, exact, I, I'd be exactly the same if I was playing in a side. 
and they brought Adama Traore, I'd be thinking, shit. Because you just know that he's going to be so direct and run at you constantly. It's just something you have to constantly think about. Uh, and I think just having that in the mind of, let's say, the left back and probably the left centre back as well, just thinking, got to keep an eye on Traore constantly. That just means that they don't focus on other things as well. So there's so many different facets that he can sort of exploit just through the fact that he's just so direct and, as you say, just really, really, really quick. So I think that's a shame. Uh, my prediction for this game is 3-0 Italy. I just, I, I think that, I think that Spain are going to be pushed in terms of just being allowed to have possession. I don't think Italy are going to let them sit as easily on the ball as other teams have so far. And I think <clears> that once, once they're pressed in certain areas, I think they're going to struggle to hold on to the ball. And I think that we've seen Italy, uh, sorry, uh, Spain's backline look a little bit shaky at times and make some mistakes. And I just think that they will end up getting exploited. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna say, the, and, and and also Spain's goalkeeper has looked like he well, he constantly looks like he's capable of a mistake. <coughs> he's he's had a really so, poor season yeah. um, for athletic, athletic yeah. club. Who who I mean, before this season, they they for years have had a really good track record with goalkeepers. I don't know what their what their goalkeeper coaches are doing, but they seem they seem to just like when. Um, Kepper left, they had another goalkeeper come through who was doing really well. Unai Simon did really well when he first came in as well. It, I just He's just had a really poor season. They, they, the whole club's had a bit of a... not the best season, but that's by the by. I, I, I am I'm a little disappointed. I can't really see it going to extra time or penalties, mm. and it's obviously the only game left in the tournament. I, I love extra time and penalties, but I, oh no, I love penalties, not extra time. Mm. Um... Uh, which is what happens in the Copper America, skip, actually. It goes skip straight to penalties. Time. Skip extra time. I'm I completely at least, agree. At least make it 15 minutes. It's so cagey and tends to be boring. We've obviously seen a couple of occasions where it has changed the game. But I just think I, I would actually quite like to see, particularly when it's a bit of a giant killing in terms of a smaller nation or a smaller team, managing to get to the end of 90 minutes uh, without losing or like without conceding too much to a bigger, better team. Reward them with going to penalties straight away. Yeah, you absolutely. know, throw throw that into the mix. I think that's way better, way more yeah. exciting. Yeah, definitely. And and there's not another game in the tournament that <laughs> that I want to go to extra time or penalties. My heart can't take that. Actually, yes, wait, no. Uh, is there is there? Do the Euros have a third place playoff, or is that just the World Cup? Oh, they probably will. Yeah, the, yeah. They're just the most so. humiliating game you ever have to play yeah, in your life honestly. as a player. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that's fun at all, but. Uh, yeah, I remember when we, we did it against Belgium. Oh, just we? awful, yeah. wasn't it? Awful. Horrible game to watch. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> so, um, oh yeah, the other, the only thing I was just going to say was I'm surprised that given Simon's form this season and a, a, a little bit this tournament, I think he's been mostly okay this tournament, bar that one howler. Um, I'm surprised Sanchez at Brighton didn't. Yeah. Uh, get get the nod because I think he's had a terrific season. So me too. Uh, that sort 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 of surprised me. But anyway, um, England Denmark is the next game. So first of all, how do you think we're going to set up lineup? I <laughs> I I I I think probably back to a three. Um, I although again after how successful we were against Ukraine, I wouldn't wouldn't be overly shocked if we stuck with the four um but Denmark play a three again and I think offer a lot more 
than Ukraine do. Um, they only play Delaney and Hoiberg in the midfield, don't they? Uh, we we kind of we don't need that extra man in the midfield like we did against Ukraine. I think we'd be <coughs> better off having that extra centre back to sort of deal to drop and deal with the the threat of Dolberg and well Dolberg in particular, who I think's really quite good. He's he's obviously never lived up to the hype around his name, but he's a very solid player. Um, Bra- Braithwaite's someone who every time I see him play for anyone, it baffles me how he's at Barcelona or starting for them but or starting for the uh, Denmark but he's kind of I, I really he wasn't very good at Middlesbrough and then seemed to go to Barcelona and I, I don't really understand what what I, I, I look at him I'm like am I missing something about this player here is there something I'm just not seeing but yeah I, I think I think we'll probably stick with the three just because of that because of the lack of central midfield as they play I, we don't need we don't need an extra man in midfield yeah, the 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 two examples we've got to draw on is the Germany game and the Ukraine game. Both games where the opposition set up in a back three and Southgate decided to pick a formation that would counteract that or rather not. I don't think it was a case with the Ukraine game that he just saw them as a lesser opponent, so therefore we'll play four at the back and we'll go a bit more attacking. I think it was just a case that the it was it was a three four one two. So therefore there's essentially three players in the midfield. So he just wants to match that up. Now with Denmark, they're a little a little bit more similar to Germany in that they look as a setup the three four three. So therefore you would assume that we'd go to the back three to match up with their midfield. Because as you say, do we need the extra man in midfield? Possibly not. The only question mark I have is that Denmark sometimes end up looking a bit more like a a 3-4-1-2 because Brathwaite goes up to join Dolberg and Damsgaard comes very centrally, almost drifting into the 10 spot. So if it will be a case of whether Southgate will view Damsgaard as more of a floating eight that we need to worry about in a midfield sense or whether he'll view Damsgaard in the same way that he viewed like a Kai Havertz as more as part of that front three that can be dealt with um, by our uh, back line. So I'm honestly not sure, but if I was a betting man, I'd probably say we'll switch to the the back three and I'd agree with you there. Uh, Do you see any particularly controversial inclusions or how, how, how do you see some of those key positions being uh, changed um, or kept the same I, I I mean okay so if it's a three I kind of I, I see the, the the back three is going to be exactly what we know it is of Stones, Maguire, Walker <coughs> Shaw is as as much as I've said a little concerned about his positioning in, in a with a three not an issue at all and I think I think even if we stick with a four he has made himself undroppable um, uh, Trippier out on the right wing. I don't. I don't think Henderson will come in as much as I'd like him to. Although, if he is fit to start, I would bring him in. I've said for the reasons. It. I think. I think Sancho will probably end up keeping his slot. Um, with Sterling and Kane. I kind of. I. I don't see there being much major upset. I. I. I'd imagine it'll just be Mount swapping straight out of that ten roll and then 
Trippier in for the wing back. Um, just on on um, Damsgaard, like you were saying, he almost plays that kind of that that, that like Pep invented position for Foden of that like mm. false eight. He's very like he's not really a winger, but also not really a ten. He's just kind of mm. in that space and can do both. Yeah, I, I think I think I think that's true. Which is why I think that's going to be the question mark over formation, because it's just going to be a case of how Southgate sees it. Um, And I do think that as a result, I think he's, I I have a sneaky suspicion, this is my hot take on the formation, is that he will kind of try and do both. So he will go with the three, uh, as you say, Pickford and Golden, Walker, um, Stones, Maguire, obviously Shaw, left wing back, Trippier, right wing back, then Rice and Phillips, and then I think he'll play Sterling, Kane, and Mount. They'll play Mount as one of those wide attackers, but more as the free eight, so that Mount can drift inside and sit on Hoiberg while Phillips pushes up on Delaney, and then that will allow Rice to drop back and deal with um, Damsgaard if needed. I can kind of see that happening, um, because then because Brathwaite then comes very centrally, you've then got um, three to deal with your two attackers, uh, rather than just have it um, one centre-back per striker, you have a, a spare man, which just gives Walker the opportunity to sort of clean things up um, and drift out into the, the right-back possession when Trippier pushes up as well. So I think, I, I'm tempted to say that that is what he might do, because um, I do think he tends to see Mount as an undroppable part of his squad as well. He just had to because of obviously the uh, quarantining issues after the Scotland game. So I, I wonder if Mount would have started in that Germany game over Saka. Um, or oh, in the Czech Republic game, sorry, rather, over over Saka. Um, or maybe not even over Saka, probably over Grealish in that game, but then over Saka in the uh, Germany game. Um, but we'll see. Um, I just think that's, that might be something that's in his head. I, I personally would probably want to see Sancho keep his spot. Um, yeah, I think I think I think, he, I think he's earned it. I'm perfectly <clears throat> happy with Rice and Phillips carrying on, just because I think they offer a, a lot of solidity, and I think that will be important. Because Phillips didn't have the best game yet against Ukraine, but he covers so much ground, and he just allows everybody else to do what they want. And I, I just think that's really important to have a bit of a workhorse in the midfield. Oh no, I agree. I <clears throat> I think he had his his worst game that he's had in the tournament, but that <laughs> that's. Because he's been really good at the tournament. That's not that's not the worst of the worst. That's the worst of some really really good games. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, finally, then, is there anything that you think that Denmark offer in particular that Ukraine didn't? Yeah, I think man for man, they are a much more threatening side. Um, <clears throat> their defense, they've got they've got two Premier League centre backs there which Ukraine don't have players of that quality. They've got that midfield of Delaney and Hoiberg. Um, Hoiberg is... He, he's one of those players who just has a lot of stamina and will keep running and just sort of really pressing in, like... Just, like, like just keeping going, like, nipping at your feet right till the end of the game. Um, they've, they've also got Damsgaard, who we are both quite a big fans of, who he, even though he had quite a poor game against um, the Czech Republic, he has that potential. He scored that unreal goal against Wales. Um, was it Wales? Killed it to corner. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. He he just he, he has that ability, and I don't think he, even Yarmolenko, who's probably Ukraine's best player, I just don't think has the ability that Damsgaard has. They're 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 just a more threatening side. That being said, man for man, England are better mm. and should be winning. It, it's not it's not going to be a game with no troubles. I don't think it'll be another four nil. I'm gonna I'm gonna say two nil. Um with another clean sheet but they 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 are a more threatening side than Ukraine it'll be a tougher game for sure uh, yeah no i agree i think it's similar to the germany game in that i think i think obviously similar to the germany game in the arguably their biggest threat is their left wing back uh, Mailer in denmark's case it's obviously gosens in germany's case so it'll be a case of whether Trippier and Walker can deal with that because I, I think Mailer will give Trippier a lot of worries and I think will get the better of Trippier and now it's whether Walker can keep himself free to cover over on that side or whether Brathwaite can do a job of kind of drawing Walker um, inside a bit more to open up that space for Mailer in behind and then obviously the concern is that I think then Denmark have a striker in Dolberg that is on form I don't think Germany really had that um, they've obviously got someone over on the other side in Damsgaard who's going to offer a lot of threat as well, which, to be fair, Habert sort of did as well. Um, but then, as you say, like a brilliant midfield unit of Hoiberg and Delaney that will not be easy at all for uh, Rice and Phillips. And then, yeah, a solid back line. So, and obviously a, a, an excellent goalkeeper in Kasper yeah. Michael as well, which is worth saying. I think he's had a, a great tournament, also a great season, and he's turning into a, a wonderful, wonderful goalkeeper. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb here and say, I, I don't know this for sure, but I would be absolutely baffled if this stat isn't true, um, that this is the first time in a European, in a Euros game, um, where the two starting goalkeepers were both given their debuts by Darlington. Is that true? Yeah, well, they, they wow. both were. I, I'd be very surprised if that's happened before. Mm. But. I would, I would be surprised too. <laughs> I'm surely not. Um, no, that's that's brilliant. That. Um, yeah, I love it well, coming from like non-league loads. Oh, I just, I, I really like seeing that. Hundred percent. I also respect Kashmir Michael. Obviously, having a dad as um, sort of huge as that—that's a lot of pressure. And I think he's just sort of done his own thing, and he's yeah been terrific. And he seems like such a good guy. And I think the the career he's had, particularly with Leicester, is great. Great to see because I think. He's been a part of something really big in his own right. He's not just Peter Schmeichel's son. He's yeah. the goalkeeper that helped Leicester surprisingly win a Premier League title and then become basically, a, well, definitely break into the top six in, in the Premier League fairly consistently. So I think that's a great story for him. Um, but on on my prediction front, I think that this is going to be the first time that we see England have to come from behind. I think they're going to go a goal down and I think we're going to really see whether Southgate and this England team have the capabilities of turning it on when they're not able to kill a game. Because that's what we do, kill games. We make them boring and turgid and stop the opposition from doing anything. And I think if we go 1-0 down early on, that's either where we crumble or we see the... The, the shackles taken off a little bit and we see some of these attacking players really flourish and be given the freedom to do 
do more of their fun creative stuff so i'm interested to see how that goes also bricking it but yeah i that's that's my that's my take so i think it's going to be three one england okay just i just, think we're gonna go one nil down final thing final thing on england it is it is the first game we'll be doing is it the first first knockout game certainly that we'll be playing on itv and there's the there's, there's the win percentage. I don't know if you've seen these stats, but it's like it's like we've won like eighty percent or something of our finals games um, on the BBC and like fifteen percent on ITV. <coughs> but uh, in contrast, it means we don't have to listen to Jermaine Janus, who quite oh, frankly God. is a clown, um, and he he wasn't a very good professional footballer. He was forced to retire through injury, uh, and quite frankly, talks as if as if. I, I'm not, I find Alan Shearer quite a boring pundit, but when you're what, top top three strikers in the history of the Premier League, you kind of have a right. You, you know what you're talking about. <coughs> I don't. I, Jermaine Janus doesn't have that, and he talks as if he was as good of a player as Shearer. <laughs> he he just made the most bizarre criticisms of Pickford, especially last night. He was at one point he was saying, "Oh, he's always got something to say, hasn't he?" Like, yes, he's a goalkeeper. He organises his defence. That that's not a criticism. That's a compliment. If your goalkeeper's not vocal, that that that's a really bad thing. And he he obviously Pickford comes out and he he skewed the um he he skewed that clearance, which nothing came of it. It's fine. His every keeper does something like that. And then he played he played a pass on his weaker foot, and it, it nearly went to our player, but didn't quite. It went to went to the um the Ukrainian and Janus is sat there going oh he's lost all his confidence now he's like he'll be really re- looking really shaky like is he or is he just misplaced to pass because this is a keeper who's made four and now five clean sheets in a row. he's the first keeper to have made five clean sheets in a row at the Euros ever show him some respect because like he just he he has he has a real attitude talking down about players and and I don't think I don't think that's acceptable, whoever you are, but certainly not when your your footballing ability was that of Jermaine Janus, as opposed to like a world class player. I'm not sure if you've noticed, guys, but I think Callum took the criticism <laughs> of Jordan Pickford just a, a little bit to heart. Um, he's he's really felt this one. Um, but look, I, I won't labour this point. Anyone that knows me knows that I despise mainstream punditry because there is so many people on the internet that do a far better job of an analysing games than any commentator or pundits tend to do. There's, there's some exceptions. I think, for example, Emma Hayes has shown us this tournament that from a co-commentary position, you can give terrific, insightful analysis from a coaching perspective and keep it fun, light and informative for the viewer. She will point out things that uh, teams are doing tactically that are just brilliant things that you wouldn't necessarily notice immediately and she says it to you and you go oh my god yes and then she'll tell you why they're doing that and point out when it's successful so i think that's brilliant jermaine genus last night uh yeah it was last night wasn't it um said that sancho and walker would know each other well (laughs) from their time at man city together jaden sancho and kyle walker never played a minute of football together, nor did they even train together. There was a crossover period of a month when Sancho had expressed his desire to leave Man City and was not taken to pre-season training and didn't turn up to any sessions. Well, he has never played... He, he, will, he will have not have trained for a minute with Kyle Walker. 
even if he had been in the squad, he would have, even when he, if he had been training, he would have probably been training with the under 23s and would not have been a part of that squad with Kyle Walker. And Kyle Walker had literally only just joined Man City. That, that, and then also he, Jermaine Genius forgot when the semi final was being played. <laughs> the, the, Surely he's are, got that written down somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Look, the, the, as I say, I'm not, I'm not going to bash him too much, but these are unacceptable levels of standards from a commentator who is supposed to be offering expert analysis and insight. We've seen two sides of the bargain here. We've seen what someone of Emma Hayes, who, by the way, is doing this part time because she's actually a professional manager for Chelsea ladies. Um, can do with just a little bit of research and just a little bit of effort in comparison to someone like Jermaine Genus, who was stealing a paycheck and just tails off cliche after cliche and thinks that that counts as professional punditry. And as you said, he always does it with an air of arrogance. And that's really frustrating. Um, yeah. So you, I would love to, I would just love to see an overhaul of the, the, the system because I think people are getting sick and tired of just having ex-pros carted out that really have nothing to add or anything of value to say. <clears throat> I, I think people get sick and tired of Sunes's rhetoric purely because he's played football before. You get him just carting out rubbish constantly. Jermaine Genus, the fact that Jermaine Genus and Guy Mowbray, I don't really have anything particularly bad to say about Guy Mowbray, but they've replaced Clive Tilsley and, within theory, then um, Ali McCoist who obviously have been commentating mostly right. together. That would have been brilliant for the England games. It's such a shame. I, th- I think it's such such a shame because there is nothing that Jermaine Genus offers that is greater than Clive Tilsley or Ali McCoist. It's just so noticeable when it's an ex-manager who's a pundit versus hmm. uh, uh, someone who like Jermaine Janus, who I doubt has ever had a coaching lesson in his life. Hmm. Um, it's, just, it's just even... even It's like... Pundits like Roy Keane, he's like clearly managed, knows what he's talking about, is very witty as well. Um, the, he just does everything completely deadpan. That's what really gets me. Everyone, like when he he's made a joke and, and no one in the studio is like sure whether it's a joke and like you're not sure if you laugh if Roy Keane's just going to give you a death stare or something. I love him. <laughs> uh, yeah, and look, look, I appreciate there's a balance between entertainment factor and informative analysis, and you you can have both. Uh, Roy Roy Keane, I think, frustrates me sometimes because I think he's sort of now got a little bit into this uh, being becoming a little bit of a caricature of himself. But for the most part, as you say, look, he's a he's a manager, he's a player, and he often offers decent insight into what players are thinking in certain scenarios and what you'd expect from players on a pitch if you were playing with them. Um, Jermaine Genius does none of that, no. and it's it's such a sh- it's such a shame because <clears throat> I think. Even if you want to have your ex-pros because they're recognisable faces that people can engage with, at least make sure they're informed. And on Jermaine Genus's part, you need to be putting in way more effort because you look like an absolute clown. And yeah, and if you're if you're if you're hiring someone who is an ex-pro because they're an ex-pro, surely surely you'd pick someone who was an ex-pro of a like of a of a really high standard. It's kind of baffling. And just actually, on you mentioned Saunas. I am not his biggest fan at all. Um, I think he, he clearly has some sort of vendetta against Paul Pogba. Um, <laughs> but he actually, I don't know if you caught it in the half time between the, the Spain, it was in the Spain game. He actually gave some really good analysis on what the Spanish midfield was doing and how they were moving into the little half. They were, they were, they were sitting on, they were sitting quite, they were happily being sat on quite tight tightly and they just have the ability to receive the ball and turn so they couldn't be pressed 
Um, and, and I thought he did a really excellent job of explaining that, but that is just about the only compliment I've ever got for him. <laughs> fair, fair, fair play, Sanis. I'm not going to let it change my agenda against him, though. <laughs> no, no, um, no, absolutely I'm not. Go- I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Um, <laughs> no, uh, uh, look, close it here, but I do think that the whole punditry system is a bit of an overhaul, because I yeah. do just think it's it's really poor, and absolutely. when you've got people sat at home that clearly are better informed than the people on the screen, what's the point in having your expert analysis? It's, it's absolutely pointless. Get but, us in, that's what I say. Absolutely. We're the get, commentators get for the final. Yeah, get, get us on. 100%. Get your position started. If you, if you raise 30 grand for that little German girl, you can get a petition for us to commentate the final. Yeah, we'll take we'll take the 25 grand happily. Yeah. That's a de- decent little <laughs> paycheck. We'll, we'll go to Wembley. Um, anyway, I think that just about wraps things up. So... Um, thank you very much again for listening to this episode. Much appreciated. Uh, we'll be back after the semis. Again, hopefully we'll be celebrating England making their way to a Euros final. Um, but Callum, where can they find us on social media? We are um, at EAFC underscore podcast on Twitter. We're everyone's a football critic um, on Facebook. You, you can get the links to our website uh, or to our ACAST page there, which has the links to all, all possible platforms that you could be listening to us on um and yep. yeah tweet us if, if you have any thoughts if you agree with us if you disagree with us that's always more interesting mm-hmm. let us know if you if you think we're clowns if you think we're as bad as janus let us know yeah, tweet 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 us we uh we won't be offended I promise um right well all that's left to say then is thank you very much Callum, and we will be back in your ear holes very very soon <laughs>